This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Thinking Sideways is not brought to you by a cartwheeling triceratops. Instead, it's supported by the generous contributions of people like you, our listeners, on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash thinking sideways to learn more. Thinking sideways. I don't understand. Does not compute. You never know. What? Stories of things we simply don't know the answer to. Hey everybody, and welcome again to another episode of Thinking Sideways. I am Steve course joined by my lovely co-host Devin. Joe. Well, that was good wow you two yeah, okay. we're both so sure we're the lovely one uh-huh. <laughs> all right well if for anybody who couldn't understand them that that one's joe and that one's Devin. you're pointing at the wrong I... people again steve no i'm not Ah, okay. Anyway, we, as always, have a mystery for you, and we actually have kind of a different mystery than we've ever looked into before. More than kind of. It's, really, it's totally, totally different. different. It's the scariest one ever. Because it's a sports mystery. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's funny, I was talking to somebody today, and they said, oh, are you doing this because of the World Series? Oh, crap. We really should have done this a while ago. Yeah. Because yeah, by the late. time this comes out, the series will be done. Yeah. Oh, well. But I guess for anybody who hadn't fig- we hadn't told anybody yet, so now they know we're doing a baseball mystery. Yay! That's right. Actually, this is a good thing because you know uh, after after the World Series is over, baseball fans will be jonesing for a baseball fix. This, this will, yeah, this they'll give it. them a little bit of a fix. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure if I'm okay with that, but okay. <laughs> I don't know, as long as I can make money off them. Okay. Well, our mystery today is: Did Josh Gibson actually hit a home run out of? 
not in, but out of Yankee Stadium. Mm-hmm. Meaning that he was in Yankee Stadium, but he hit the ball out of Yankee Stadium, and correct? It traveled outside of the stadium, that is correct. Okay. Right. Outside of the walls. Yeah. And the the original stadium, the new stadium. The original stadium. Yeah. Our story takes place in the 1930s. Oh, so, so yeah. n- definitely not the one that was no. built in, but the new one was 2009. Yeah. was open. So, yeah, definitely so not Probably not that, that one. Or yeah. else we have an even larger mystery on our hands. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> we really would. Yeah. The reason that the story uh, is. So, really popular among baseball fans is because of the height and distances required to hit a baseball to actually get it literally out of the park. Yeah, very few people have done it. I mean, in, in Yankee Stadium. In a smaller park, it's not that hard. But Yeah, yeah. Know. And in Yankee Stadium, our entire story is going to focus on that stadium. People have hit it out of the park yeah. in other stadiums, and Josh Gibson is known to have done that. But this is all going to focus mainly in when we're talking about those home runs. It's going to be Yankee Stadium. Mm-hmm. But the reason is that it's that it's such a an epic thing is in the old stadium, it was from home plate to the back wall, 580 feet. Wow. Mm-hmm. And the wall was a, this is a round figure, about 50 feet high. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a... <laughs> That's yeah. a hell of a home run. That's not oh, yeah. nothing. No, absolutely. And just so you know what, I I got to tell people right now, I'm not a real baseball guy. I'm not a real sports fan. So some of the stuff I really had to figure out. And I, for people who don't know or don't have these things just automatically memorized, mm-hmm. like some of our friends do, uh-huh. here's some numbers for you to kind of put a perspective on it. Oh, by the way, for our, for our foreign listeners who've never even heard of baseball, uh, <laughs> go, to, go to Wikipedia. Yeah, just yeah. look yeah, it up. I'm pretty sure they know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From home plate to second base, so all the way across the diamond, mm-hmm. you are looking at 127 feet. That's a standard number. Okay. To go from home plate to the end of the outfield... So, of course, there's then going to be bleachers from there on out. Mm-hmm. But that's a, a kind of a variable number, but it's mm-hmm. somewhere between 290 to 400 feet. So about 100 feet difference. Yeah. And then after that, in Yankee Stadium, it's an additional 180 feet mm-hmm. to then get outside of the park. So yeah. it's when you kind of hear those numbers, because I think most of us kind of have an idea of the size of a baseball diamond, but then you don't really think about how many feet that is. Well, and that's why right. this thing is... Kind of an epic thing. Yeah, absolutely. Wait, we're like, what, two, three minutes into the story already? And I just realized that I screwed up and I didn't thank the person who suggested it. Oh, really? I did. Uh, You're just not a good person. You just don't appreciate our listeners. Uh Actually, I do want to say thank you to Jonathan who sent this in. Yeah. Uh, You know, this is, I, I think... You both know this, and I've been working on this for six months or something like that. I I couldn't let it go. I'd always be doing a little bit of work, get sidetracked, but I could never let go. And I think it's just because of the fact that as an American or as an American male, kind of hardwired to have a thing for baseball. Even American in general. Yeah. Yeah. I I think even like I don't really I like soccer slash football, mm -hmm. depending on where you are. But I don't really like sports, but I can sit down and watch a baseball game. I think you can enjoy baseball even if you have no idea what's going on. Well, yeah. you, the about, basic premise of it is real really simple. simple. You yeah. hit the ball and then you run. Yeah, and then they try, they try to catch the ball or, right. and then they try to or like, hit tag you, with you out. Hit you with it. Yeah. It's really simple. Yeah. So I think it's just Amer- we're lazy with our sports and that's... <laughs> 
it's a really easy one that you can just sit down and go and you know so i would say american romance okay. in general yeah and i think well i think that's why i i couldn't ever put this story down yeah yeah you went a little overboard especially with the whole one that exhumed the body of josh gibson i mean yeah. and the, like building the scale replicas of old yankee stadium listen yeah. i had to do something with all of the toothpicks okay mm-hmm. all right that's well, fair true. i mean and all that elmer's glue yeah, i had to do something cubes, i know yeah, it was gonna expire i know yeah Jeez, you two. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, let's uh, so let's actually get on with our story. Yeah. Yeah, we probably should. So we'll start at the beginning. Josh Gibson was born in 1911 uh-huh. in Georgia. Okay. And then when he was 12, his family moved to Pittsburgh. And yeah. that's kind of where he gets his start in baseball. Okay. He was... Uh, he was a big guy. He really, he was like 6'2", 180 to 200 pounds, depending. I heard that he, heard that he was 6'1", 215. Well, yeah, the, it depends yeah. on where it is through his career. But he was a big guy, and he was an athlete. He was good at every sport. But he was gooder at baseball. <laughs> he was gooder at baseball. Yeah, I think or so. Or he preferred baseball. Or he liked it. Yeah. yeah, well, obviously, we know which one he went after. Um, but no, he, he was. He was the guy who really was just good at everything he did. As we know, he liked baseball the most. So he was known to hang out at Sandlots and participate in just about any pickup game he could. He uh, he was a catcher, which is not an easy position in my my no. mind to play because no. you know you got to squat, you got to catch ninety mile an hour balls. Although I guess it's easier if you're bigger, probably. I, that is actually one of the things that worked in his favor because yeah. he was such a big guy. He, there's a lot of abuse, mm-hmm. and he but was that, good at taking it. Mm-hmm. All that squatting through the game that would get old real fast. But I, I think that's it, why you know. baseball players have such cute butts. <laughs> <laughs> that what it is. But I think I think Gibson also played some outfield positions too on occasion. He did. Yeah. It was kind of a we're going to put you in a position so we can put you in the game yeah. kind yeah. of thing is really what it was. They would put him in say left field yeah, you for a do, game. You seem to do pretty well. Two. You know, he was he's not just a good hitter, he was a good thrower, good yeah. catcher. No, he was he was Definitely a fantastic hitter. I mean, the guy wailed on baseballs, as oh, we're yeah. going to talk about. Uh, he is often referred to as the quote-unquote Black Babe Ruth, and he would make, uh, this is a term that was around in the 30s, Ruthian hits. Although I really like it better when you come across where people say that Babe Ruth was the white Josh Gibson. Yeah, I know. He made Gibson's Gibsonian hits, uh-huh. which you actually do see. This is probably the point where we should stop real fast and let everybody know. Story takes place in the 30s and the 40s. There was language around race that was used at that time that... It's not what I would use, but well, it is the name of things. We're just going to call things the things they were called. Yeah, we're yeah. going to use the name of things. So yeah, yeah, yeah. be prepared. If if that kind of stuff bothers well, you or you you take offense to it, I yeah. apologize. Well, no, there's I can't uh, change history. Sadly, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it away here. We're gonna talk about the uh, the Negro League, the National a, Negro League, the National yes. Negro League, which was, by the way, not a racial epithet in those days. It still really isn't. It's just. You know, it was it the was league the, for black players. Yeah, it was the it was the word that preceded black. So yes. yeah. yeah. So yeah. so here we go. Here we go. Yeah. As I said before, Josh played in a lot of Sandlot games, and that got the uh, his performance of those games got the attention of a guy by the name of Composi, who was the manager for a local team, which was the Homestead Grays. In 1930, that's when they picked him up. 
At the time, the Greys were not part of the National Negro League. The, they were an independent team. Okay. Eventually, they would join the league, uh-huh. um, but at that time, they weren't. And yeah, that'll, was, uh, that'll make sense why later. Baseball was a little less structured in those days. <laughs> it was very little structure. Yeah. It was kind of a fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants game. Kind of a free-for-all kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, yeah, let's, you know, let's just explain how this works. So we all know today there's the major leagues. There's the minor leagues and things like peewee and high school and you all of that. You also have farm leagues. Yes, and there's some far- farm leagues. Mm-hmm. Well, th- that all of that wasn't nearly as structured at the time. And so what happened is there was a lot of these local teams that were just guys that liked to play baseball. Mm-hmm. And they would get together and they would be a team and they would travel to play a guy, guys in another city who mm-hmm. liked to play baseball. Yeah. And there was no money in it. They were playing not in stadiums. They were playing in the local ballpark yeah. or possibly the sandlot. Farm leagues. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. We had one in Portland growing up. I don't think they were quite farm league. Minor, 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 you know, way below minor. Mm-hmm. Guys who would actually legitimately fall running from base to base. <laughs> but it was so... It was really fun to watch. So, yeah. you know. Yeah, I mean, these are just teeny little things. And most of, like I said, most of these guys didn't get paid. Yeah. Luckily for the, the Homestead Grays, they actually did get paid. And that's one of the things that was really attractive to Josh to join the team. Well, especially in the 1930s when there weren't any jobs. You know? Yeah, yeah, um, and we're gonna we're gonna go into some of the money stuff in a bit as to you know, but it was just it was a much better career in terms of money than a regular job. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. actually he made good money. Yeah, he made yeah he really did for the time for the 1930s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but let's. Uh, I want to tell a story because I really really like this story because I really find it funny. Okay, and that is the story of how Josh Gibson joined the the Grays. So the story goes, the Greys were playing the Kansas City Monarchs, who at that time, see, it's 1930, they were part, they were in the National Negro League, and they were one of the top teams that year. I did, I had to look it up again earlier, so I was just making sure they, later on they weren't. Mm -hmm. Teams would jump in and out of leagues, or jump from one league to a next, Mm. so it, it gets a little confusing at times. So, they are in the league. They're a top team. The Monarchs. Or... The Monarchs. No, okay. we're talking... Yes, this is so the, the Kansas Grays City Monarchs. So the Grays are not... The Grays are not. They're the not Monarchs in a league. Are. Got it. So it's kind of an exhibition game. Okay. Look how good we are. Yes. This, this was a night game, right? Well, that's the thing, is that according to the story, the Monarchs had a well-to-do sponsor who bought them their own mobile lights, so mm. it was a night game. Okay. Okay. Well, but their 1930 lights, they run on generators. They're not all that great. Yeah. But it allows a bunch of people to come in the evening and watch the game, which means that you can make some money. So that's why they did it. Problem was, the lights weren't good enough that the pitcher and the catcher could see each other to read signals. If you don't know this in baseball, the catcher does hand signals to the pitcher to tell him what kind of pitch to throw. Really simple process, except that if you can't see what he's doing, you have no idea what kind of ball to throw. Or to catch. Or what you're going to catch. Yeah. Exactly. That's a very good point, too, because that comes into play here. Mm-hmm. So we've got two guys who are said to have been playing. We have 
I love the names that these guys get. The pitcher was Smokey Joe Williams, and the catcher was Buck Ewing. And they evidently, according to the story, crossed up their signs. So they it was, decided it was, to only do two signs or two pitches, right? Yes, it was a fastball and a curveball. Okay. That was all they were going to do. Mm-hmm. A couple innings in, somebody switches it up. Mm. Wrong kind of ball gets thrown. Buck Ewing, who is the catcher, catches the ball barehanded. Ooh. Which, yeah, doesn't sound fun. Uh-uh. It's got to hurt. Yeah. Tears, splits his hand open. Ooh. Josh Gibson just happens to be in the stands by the, uh, by the dugout eating a hot dog and watching the game. And Composi sees him, recognizes him, pulls him out of the stands, and puts him into the game to relieve Ewing for the rest of the game. And then from there, hires him. Wow. Lucky break for Josh. Yeah. It is, if that was really the way it went. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually yeah. not how it went. I, I love that story. And actually, it's I you mean, see a bunch of things where Josh always laughed at this retelling of how he joined the team. Yeah, I think mm. that uh, it's partly true, though, right? A portion of it is, yes. That the first game that he played for the Grays, it wasn't actually an evening game. It was an afternoon game. And it wasn't against the Monarchs. It was against a, another team, which was a white semi-pro team. Oh. Smokey Joe wasn't the pitcher. It was actually another guy named, again, love this name, Charles Lefty Williams. Well, they got the last name right. <laughs> they did. Yeah, um, Ewing did actually split a finger open, and they did need somebody to relieve him. But the deal was... Posey had already told Josh he was going to bring him on the team and that he should be ready whenever he needed him to come play. So what happens is Ewing splits his finger. Josh is not in the stands. He's at another game that day. He's playing for the Crawford Giants. Oh. Uh, they put one of the, the Grays put one of their players in a cab, send him over to the Giants game. He gets Josh. Josh and he get back in the cab and go back to the Grays game where he then relieves Ewing and then is on the team, but he doesn't immediately take the position. He slowly works into the position wow. but, as Ewing slowly works towards retirement. Yeah, but uh, they, so they didn't stop the whole game while, while the, the guy went and got Josh? No, I, I think they had a relief uh, catcher. Hopefully so. Either, huh? that or, either that or it was the end of the inning and they were at bat. Maybe. That you know? put, that's a great point because you know depending on the game an inning can take a really, really long oh, time yeah. and who knows how far apart those uh, ball fields were I didn't actually think to look and I don't know that I can find that anymore it, you know honest. maybe it was the seventh inning stretch could be you never know it's a good point I hadn't thought about that yeah. it turns out I know some things about baseball well, I guess you do yeah a few things more than I do <laughs> what's that thing that they hold in their hands the bat or the ball? Oh, the bat. Or the gloves. Yeah, that's it. That's it. The yeah. bat? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Usually wood. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they hold the narrow end, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh. Good. Good. I'm glad, I'm glad I got that right. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, so as so that's, like I said, that's the real story of how Josh got on the team. And before this, we were talking about the money part. Uh, mm-hmm. So let's talk about the money a little bit because it is kind of important. Yeah, black players didn't really make anywhere near what the white players made in the majors. Did no. Yeah. Black people I was gonna well, say, yeah, well, didn't really make <laughs> yeah, anywhere. Anyone too, that yeah. wasn't white didn't make but a fraction of what their white counterparts made in any field. Even some white people didn't. 
That's true. I mean, there's a lot. There's or so immigration much status friggin' or... discrimination oh, in yeah. this era. Yeah. Um, so Although I, I kind of suspect that probably white people went to watch the white people games, and they probably were able to charge white people more for tickets. So uh, that's yeah. probably a, a part of it, right? Well, there. yeah, there there are things, and there's, um, and I know this will come up later on, so we'll just talk about it now. At Yankee Stadium, there's a section of the stadium that actually used to be called the black seats, yeah, mm-hmm. because they were the cheap seats because. They didn't make as much money, so those were the people who would go to those seats because they couldn't afford anything better. Yeah. Those were the cheap seats. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it gives you kind of an idea. Um, here's here's some ideas of money in the, the era. So we've got, in the 1930s, two big names, Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig. They were making between thirty to eighty grand a year playing pro ball. Which is a lot. It is back in those in, days. In nineteen thirty, thirty grand was huge money. Oh yeah. I'd still be happy to be making thirty grand. <laughs> <laughs> That's saying something. Eighty grand would be awesome right yeah, now. Yeah, it would. <laughs> um, now you know the, these guys were the big power hitters, the top dogs. Even regular white players that were making good money. I mean they. We're making a better living than a guy who worked in a factory. Oh, yeah. Easy hands down math. Yeah. Okay. If we cross the color line, then a guy who is doing a regular job would be making exponentially more than anyone who's not white. And the same thing applied for baseball. Mm-hmm. The the league, the, uh, the American League, the National League, the Pro League, whatever you want to call it, it paid well, but the thing it didn't do was allow black players on the field. Right. So these guys had to play for less money. Mm-hmm. Josh did really well. Uh, I think Joe was mentioning that earlier. He, yeah. I think he started out right around three grand a year. Uh, he mm-hmm. worked his way up to about five a year at the end of his career. Again, a lot of money in those days. A lot of money in those days, but that was only what that was kind of what he got from. Basically, his normal season. He did a lot of stuff on the side and after the season to make money. Oh, yeah. Those guys were playing all over the place, like Mexico, South America. I mean... Yeah, which by the way, where by the way, they were they were actually treated better than they were in America. They were stars. <laughs> yeah, they were. Yeah, there's. Um, I really regret that I can't remember the guy's name. There was a. a a guy who played with Gibson. I don't think he was on the same team, but he played against him before and it was in the same era. And he actually left the United States for three years to play in, I think it was Venezuela for three years. He played in Venezuela because it was just, the money was so much better. The conditions were horrible. And in the end, that's kind of what drove him back up to the States. But you know, he was like to hell with it. I can play ball. I'm a hero, and I make great cash. Yeah. Why wouldn't I go? Yeah, they don't. They don't want me make me play over there in the Black People Stadium. You know. Yeah. <laughs> in, case, actually... in case anybody oh. was wondering, five thousand dollars in 1930 is equivalent to uh, sixty-eight thousand two hundred and fifty-nine dollars. Okay. That's not bad. No, that's not bad no. Money Almost, at all. You know, sixty-eight thousand dollars a year. That's yeah, it's a very comfortable uh, living. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and we know he was supplementing his income, and also yeah. everybody else was unemployed. So. Yeah. yeah, so it didn't matter. <laughs> He was, yeah. So he was doing great. Yeah, he really was. Oh, but I guess okay. So in fairness, that that means that um, Babe Ruth was the, was he the one that was making eighty 
thousand dollars a year. Yeah, in nineteen thirty, I think it was he was got about eighty grand. Eighty grand is um one million ninety two thousand one hundred and forty eight dollars annually. Yeah. <laughs> Although compared to what the salaries that players are getting these days, it's you know, that's not even that significant. I mean there's some of the contracts of some of the some oh of the basketball well yeah players no it's, and baseball it, but, players have today. But this is this is in the beginning of baseball when yeah. it was you know it kind of had coalesced into the sport that it is. That was the beginning of it. And Babe Ruth is the one who started. He's the one. He was for many many. I think nineteen thirty to nineteen. I know some sports fanatic is going to tell me I'm wrong, <laughs> but I swear it was like 1930 to 1936. Even though his wages steadily went down because the economy was. Just going down the tank. Mm-hmm. He was uh, he was the top earner for that time, and then I think after that, that was when Lou Gehrig came in and and superseded him as the top earner because he shortly thereafter retired. I don't remember exactly when Ruth retired at the moment, but you know that's why Gehrig was on his way up and started earning a bunch of money. And then, as you know, he's followed by guys like Mickey Mantle and all these well-known power hitters. And those were the guys that kind of led the way. And each one was just getting a little bit more. And that's how we have the situation of Mm -hmm. several million dollar contracts. MLB on average pays $4 million. Yeah. Well, and also take it. I'm not going to say no, no. Well, another thing we have today is we have TV, which brings a whole new element of money into the whole thing. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Really does so n- nothing to sniff at no. for anybody. No, no. Yeah. I mean, Josh, like I said, Josh Gibson making good money. Yeah. Um, now we uh, we've got a little off track. Yeah. So our mystery, back to our mystery. This here. is good history, though. Yeah. It no, informs what's it, about to happen. It really does. It really kind of informs a lot of it yeah. because the the le- the mystery or the legend is that either in 1930 or in 1934. Josh Gibson hits a ball during a game out of Yankee Stadium. That is that that right there. It's either he did or he didn't. So our theories are pretty easy to keep straight. That's yeah. That's we got a, two. Yeah, okay. That's I like that. Yeah, me too. And by the by the way, that's uh, so so Josh. The, apparently, they did allow the black teams to to use Yankee Stadium to play in, but they were playing each other, right? They were yes, yeah. yeah. Um, it was there was a lot of segregation happening at that point. Yeah, we have yeah. things like Jim Crow stuff mm-hmm. like that. A lot of segregation. Uh, so we have we have the Yankees, the New York Yankees, and they were Ew. the white team. Then we had the New York Black Yankees. Literally, that was anybody that wasn't white that was good enough to play for that team. That's the team they were playing on. Uh-huh. So that's who, uh, like the Homestead Grays, would have played. So I wonder like, what the, the turnout for, I mean, because I, I know that black people could go to white games. I wonder how many white people went to black games. You know, I actually uh-huh. get the feeling that there was a fair number. I, people who liked baseball would go. And because it's a National Negro League game or, you know, maybe it's just a couple of black teams, it's cheaper to go to. I was going to say, but it's ah, way cheaper to go that's to. It's way true. cheaper to go and to. probably the quality of baseball is not really less at all. No, yeah, no. These yeah. guys were... It's maybe better even. They were pros. <laughs> yeah. They oh, yeah. were absolutely pros. And that was the... That's the one... The one thing for baseball that I really... It's... To me, it's the biggest smear. 
and I know that there's a lot of bad things that happen in baseball, but to me, that's one of the big smears is that baseball could have been probably so much better oh, if it yeah. had just crossed the race line about yeah. a decade before it actually did. Let's be fair, not to politicize the issue, but a lot of things could have been way better had if the race we not would have just crossed a race barrier earlier. Well, see, but that's the problem is that there's, as I did the reading, I've, I actually read not only the internet, but I got into a number of books, and a lot of these guys would get approached by the owners and managers of white teams, and they would say, would you come play with us? And this is, you know, would you accept, ex- what would you accept and pay? And they'd have these conversations, but they were such a regular thing the black players just didn't care anymore Mm. because everybody would make these offers and say, we're going to do it. And then walk up to the line and chicken out. They never, never quite pull the trigger. And never do it. And so these guys just, you know, they just didn't care. Listen, stop bothering me. I got to go play ball. Mm -hmm. This is what I want to do. But here's, here's the deal. You know, if you're, if you're say the New York Yankees and you're an all white team and you, and you do pull the trigger and you get Josh Gibson and a few other good black players on your team and your team is kicking butt. How can the, how can a Yankees fan not like that? You know, really? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there were some people who I was, probably wouldn't I was going to say, <laughs> this is still the 1930s. There's still some massive segregation. Jim Crow is in uh, effect. Well, Jim Crow was not in effect in, in New York, though. No, that's true. Yeah. But it, it it precluded a certain behavior and view. Oh, yeah. I, I and, get it. But you know, that... It's kind of like cutting off... We don't have time it. to get into all of that. Yeah, I'm just saying, if you're a Yankees fan and, and, you, and you don't want your team winning all the time... You'd rather have an all-white team. Well, okay. Well, you're cutting off your nose to spite your own face, I guess. But, oh, well. Okay. That's their business. It is. Yeah. So for all of our listeners that aren't American and don't understand the weird history that we have with race, <laughs> now <laughs> you do. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, yeah, we Maybe this. we go through to the theories? Yeah. Yeah, let's do the theories. Let's yeah. do the theories here. I know I've said this a couple of times, but I'll say it again. Josh Gibson was a phenomenal baseball player. Do you have like, a crush on him or something? No, I actually I'm really impressed with I the think guy. You're right. I think yeah. so too. But uh, he was he was a he did have some pretty impressive stats. So we're we're in totally blushing. Now we are totally in the he did it theory. So yeah. we are on theory number one. Josh he, Gibson totally did it. He totally did knock did it out it. of the park. Yeah, he knocked it out of the park. He played professional ball between 1930 to 1946. And he actually, uh, all but five of those years, he played for the Homestead Grays. So he was at one team. He played for two teams. Um, This is not counting the games that he played out of the country or any kind of exhibition games that he might have done, you know. But Man, I'm sure it's some of those little rinky-dink places out of the country. I'm sure he knocked it out of the park all the time. Oh, yeah, he really did. We We got some of those stories, too. This is the thing. He started playing in 1930. He was 18 years old. So he was at that almost that peak of physical development, you know, I mean, guys between 18 to 22, that's kind of when they hit their strongest Mm -hmm. physically. And so he was, he was there at the right time. If you go to the baseball hall of fame, which I did uh, their website anyway, uh, he was inducted into the fame and baseball hall of fame of 1972 
Uh, you're going to see that he's really good with the bat, as we talked about. Oh, yeah. So we're going to give some baseball stats, and I will explain them, I promise. Thank you. Because if you don't understand them, they are very confusing. We have, according to the Baseball Hall of Fame, uh, the number of 1,825. That is the number of times that Josh Gibson was at bat. He had 638 hits out of that, which means that he had a batting average of 350. And Pretty good. The batting average is the number of hits divided by the number of times that he was at bat. So 35% of the time, he hit. Huh? Uh, there is another number called a slugging percentage. Josh's slugging percentage was 624. I'm not going to go into the actual math of that, but it's a it's a calculation of number of hits and how many of them were a single, a double, a triple, and homers. Mm -hmm. And it it actually it's it gives a better determination of how good a player is when they're in the hot seat because if nobody's at, on the bases, doesn't really matter. But if the bases are loaded, that's really important. Right. So there's there's a lot of value in that kind of stat. And baseball, I got to say, is is one of the most stat statistically intensive Heavy. sports mm -hmm. ever. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, trust me, there is a whole people, bunch of stats we could go through, and we're not. People get really into this stuff. I mean, yeah. I, I tried. Actually, as a kid, I tried. I played t-ball. I tried to play ball. I was the kid spacing off in the outfield because I was just kind of bored. I tried collecting baseball cards, but I couldn't ever figure the stats out and keep them all in my head, so I couldn't talk the jargon with kids. But the, you're right. There are people who just dig in, and they just know all these numbers, and they make total sense. One of One of my closest, oldest friends is that way she's yeah. a die-hard boston red sox fan and during all baseball season pre and post season anytime anybody's playing baseball her instagram feed is literally just pictures of her keeping score and stats <laughs> it's insane oh, i don't yes. understand any of it no i don't i've never been into baseball that much i no. enjoy, I back when we had a team here in town i used to enjoy going out of the beer garden Mm -hmm. And watching the Beavers play, and you know, drinking beer with them. It's too bad you missed friends. the Rockies. I'm saying, yeah, Myron Noodleman. If anybody listening remembers Myron Noodleman, please let me know because I I need to know I'm not the only one. You had a crush on him? No, God, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> no. Okay. Okay. okay, but can so can you? Oh, yeah, well, yeah, so yeah. Help let's get back. Frame so what a uh, yeah. The, okay. His batting average means really. Okay, Josh batted a three fifty. Right. Really good, and I mean, that's a really good batting average. Babe Ruth, who, you know, he's the guy that is kind of that that's, that golden standard because he always hit homers, though he actually wasn't that good of a batter. He hit, uh, his lifetime average was a 342. Oh. If we look at the highest ranked player of 2014, uh, his name is Jose... I'm going to do my best on it. I listened to it, but I just don't know quite. It's Altuvea, I want to say is how you pronounce his name. I thought it was Altuvea, but I could be Altuve, wrong. Altuvea, that may yeah, be it. I, I might be wrong, but yeah. But, anyway, yeah. he was the top-ranked hitter of 2014, and he hit a 341. Okay, can, I'm sorry. Can you tell me, do you want to be higher or lower? 
Higher the better. So if you if you're betting a thousand, so, so three fifty is better. Yes. Than three forty two or three forty. Yes. Okay. The yeah. higher the number, the more times you're hitting the ball. Okay. So that makes if sense. you batted a 500, that means you hit one of every two balls that was thrown at you. Okay. Yeah, yeah. that's pretty good. Which or, is, or you hit a ball, not one out, but you hit a ball every time you're at half the time you were at bat. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you're batting a thousand, you've probably heard that term before. Mm-hmm. That means you know you're hitting the ball every every time you're at bat. Mm. Every single yeah, time. Every single okay. time. You're bad. So he was better than he was better than almost any. He was better yeah. than anybody, right? Well, I mean, there's almost. people that have better records, but he, but was, he, yeah. was, up he there. was really good. But okay. there's there's a couple of things you need to know. First of which, the records aren't complete, and these numbers that his uh, his record or his batting average is based on, those are based on regulation games only, and and I'll explain that a little bit here. So for the first part of the records, the, the, the Negro Leagues were really bad about keeping records. Mm. I don't know why or what caused that, but their records were really spotty and shoddy. And maybe it's because nobody you know, wanted to keep them because they didn't. I, I don't know. I, it might be that uh, people just didn't feel like it was all that important yeah. know, because they weren't going to move up to the majors. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so th- the records aren't kept. The second part of what I talked about there, which is the regulation games, that's actually really important. We've talked about the fact that players went south of the border to play games in the off season. To they continued to train, and like we talked about, they got paid really well. Mm-hmm. Those games aren't going to be counted. Right. Teams would also go on. They would do exhibition games. They would do what was called barnstorming, which is just basically. Driving around and, and finding baseball fields and playing games, and they're completely off the books. Now, what kind of a bus did these guys have, I wonder? Uh, you know, it's funny. They didn't have a bus at first. They eventually did get a bus, but there's stories about the fact that they had two cars that all of the guys were crammed in, and all of their gear was tied to the outside of it. So the entire team is in two cars, and they they would literally race from place to place. Uh-huh. This is a great story. So it's 1930s. They're dirt roads, and of course they're rutted like you wouldn't believe. Two giant oh, ruts. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And these guys are going so fast that the guy in the front is throwing so much dust that the guy in the rear can't see, and he drives off the road. They get the car upright, because of course it tips over, but they're packed in like sardines, so nobody gets hurt. They pick up the car, they get it back on the road, they're going down the road. About two miles later, they find a car in the ditch, and they think, that poor sod. And then they get out, and they realize it's the other car that they were following, which had blown a tire, and of course then did the same thing, hit the groove, you know, flipped it off, and dropped it onto the side of the road. Oh my goodness. Well, luckily, you've got a big a bunch of big, strong guys there to pick the car up and put it back on the yeah, road. Yeah, and of course, so. all their crap, is, all their gear is strapped to the outside of the car, so they had to go around and pick up all their stuff and put it back together. But yeah, it somebody, wasn't a, somebody I, should make a movie about this. I think, well, indeed, I yeah. think it was, I want to say 34 is when the Greys got a bus, and there, and that's when, you know, there's all all kinds of hijinks and stories from any team of what happens on the bus. Yeah. And I read a lot of great stories that I won't, I won't go into because they really don't count into what we're talking about. No, no, but yeah. It's really interesting and really, really fun to read. Oh yeah. No, I, I'm, 
So yeah, a movie a movie must be made. Hollywood get on that. Yes. Yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger, I want you in that movie. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. Uh so okay, so they a lot of the stats weren't counted for mm-hmm. his batting average. Right. So, so so is the general feeling that he was he was he was better. that much he was better than he was better than what was recorded okay then what was it recorded in official mm. games in the, the records that were left over well it's hard to say though because i mean uh you know i mean he might have done more poorly you know south of the border and stuff like that it's just since all this stuff is unknown it's really hard to say precisely what his stats are yeah well i, I do know that he was a higher paid player because he was better at bat and oh, he yeah. was more of a consistent player because like let's we're going to talk about what is considered the quote-unquote great of the time which is Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth struck out so much and he was so notorious for his strikeouts. It's that swing and a miss. We've all done this when we were kids you know that that giant arcing swing and you totally miss. Gibson wasn't like that. He didn't have this crazy wild swing Baseball players, when they swing, it's from their arms and their shoulders through their torso, and then they rotate their hips and they they use their legs. And that's how they get that giant wide swing, which gets all the power. Gibson didn't move his legs, which meant that he had all of it was from his arms and his shoulders and partially his torso. So he had a hell of a lot more control in Mm. where he put the bat. I see. That's why I think that his numbers are better than what we have recorded at the Hall of Fame. At the very least, they're not worse. They're right? not worse. Either at the they're very least... about the same yes. or much better. Yeah. Yes. So okay. he's, That's uh, fair. He was, no, he was a good player. Yeah. No. So, okay. Great. Get off soapbox. Here's a, here's a great example for he was better than okay. what the official yeah. records have. He played in 1933. He played for the Pittsburgh Crawfords. Somehow, somebody at the Pittsburgh Crawfords did an amazing job of record keeping. So we have the 1933 season records. Even though they don't count towards the Hall of Fame. No, they do, don't they? I think they do. Okay. But this is a a solid year's worth of numbers rather than everything else, which is kind of hit and miss. Mm, You know, part seasons Mm -hmm. here and there, not all games. In 33, with the Crawfords... Josh played 137 games and had 500 uh, batted 512 times. Okay. He hit 239 times. 55 of those were home runs, so that gives him a runs. batting average of hmm. 467. Wow. That's amazing. That's yeah, that's incredible. That's, an amazing number. Yeah. yeah. And we'll talk about the home runs because that's what the story is about. We've got a number of home run stories. So in Monison, Pennsylvania. Hope I pronounce that right. He hit a home run that was measured at 512 feet. Mm. In Kaminsky Park, which is in Chicago, he hit a ball hard enough that it hit a loudspeaker that was at the edge of the field. Mm. That loudspeaker, by the way, was eight feet up, and he hit it so hard that the ball lodged in the loudspeaker, um, which is... really hard hit and it was it was how far was it from home plate uh that was 435 feet yeah it was still going strong at the time yeah yeah (laughs) had a lot of distance left in it it really did Mm -hmm. uh in his first season at yankee stadium against the black yankees he hit a ball which went into the bullpen which is over 500 feet from the home plate because the bullpen is at was at the at that stadium was at the back okay 
of the stadium. And he was playing, this is one of his off-season games. He was playing in uh, San Juan in Puerto Rico. He hit a home run that cleared not only the fence of the ballpark that he was in, but it also cleared the fence of the prison that was next door to the okay. ballpark. Yeah. yeah. So the prisoners got a free baseball. They that's did. That's kind of cool. Right. Which know? was 525 feet. So that's still, you know, this doesn't uh, this doesn't it's... really establish that he knocked it out of the park at Yankee because that was 585 feet, right? It was 580 feet. And then it would have had to actually have been more than that because it would have had to go up in an arc. Clear the wall. It would have to be well beyond the wall. At least at the top of its arc by the 580 foot mark. Yes, if not higher. It would have been had to have been far, far. Which means it would have gone much, much farther than that 580 feet had it cleared the wall. You're absolutely right. So he did hit a lot. A yes. really hard, long, far... But nowhere near the, what, 700 feet we're talking about here? Well, there or are some hits up, that yeah. potentially could have, but again, it's the, the records. He did this, a lot of this stuff was in ball fields, mm-hmm. literally a ball field, and they couldn't find the ball, or it hit a building that was across the street or stuff like that, and while... People who will sit down and do the math have been able to do that math on some great hits. Josh Gibson's hits weren't recorded, so we don't know, yeah. you know yeah. if it hit the such-and-such hotel across the street, on the third floor, or anything like that. We don't have that yeah, to then make the calculation of how far his, he could have gone. Yeah, I know, but I know in Yankee, I know he did hit the far wall. Yeah. He, he did hit the... So, which is a considerable distance. Yeah, that's the 580-foot yeah. mark, but... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Joe is uh, already very happily, almost gleefully, by the look in his eye, drawing us into the second theory, which is that he didn't do it. (sighs) (laughs) The anecdotal evidence points out, as Joe has said, that he might not have been able to do it. Um, I did some back-of-the-envelope math, which is where I got the 580-foot number. Because I literally, I found old plans for the Yankee Stadium in that era. Because the stadium kept getting changed over time they'd add more and more to it but it was 580 foot based on that and again like we talked about in the beginning i believe the wall was about 50 foot high there's a lot of the accounts of josh's hits that say that he wasn't the kind of player that would hit a high arcing ball Mm. He actually hit him low and hard. So like that one where it hit the loudspeaker, Yeah, it was only eight foot up. Mm -hmm. So theoretically, maybe it was still climbing, but at 400 and some odd feet, it wasn't going to go much Much higher. higher, No, I think 400 feet, it was probably already on the down, on the downward side of the the arc, I'm guessing. Yeah, it's quite possible. You know, and the... The thing about Yankee Stadium, which is referred to, uh, it's called the house that Ruth built after Babe Ruth. Um, He tried to hit it out of the park. He never actually did. Uh, There is a game in 1930 where Babe Ruth himself hit a 535 footer and it went into the stands, uh, into the the right center field bleachers Mm. is where it landed. The black seats. The Black Seats, yes, that is exactly where it hit. Uh, We have records of, because these are when the records are really good, we are in our our white pro league, and actually this is in the 50s, so it wasn't as bad, but the segregation, but 
Mickey Mantle, he was one that everybody expected to take it out of Yankee Stadium. And there were three games where they thought he was going to do it. There's 1955, 1956, and 1963. And by the way, the one in 63 would have made it out of the park, I'm pretty sure. It would have. Yeah. Well, I just, I don't, I'm, we're out of the part of where I know things. Okay, the, let me, uh, let me give you a, kind of a, a description of what's going on okay. here with this. So the 1955 hit went into the bleachers in center field, so that's easy enough to understand. Yankee Stadium had a brass facade around the top of the bleachers. Mm. Right. The bleachers are several stories, right, right. you know, several rows high. Right. Yeah, and at the, at the very top of that, there's a roof that covers the top row of, of, of the bleachers. And then on and front, then of, that the, front facade, of that is a facade, exactly. which is kind of some arcs with fake pillar-looking things on them. His 56 and his 63 hits hit the facade Mm. The top, it, it would have gone over had, had it not hit there. the facade okay. inches to the left or the right yeah, no. or even feet to the other direction. Mm-hmm. It would have gone past over uh-huh. center field oh, yeah. and they would have gone out of the park. Yeah, the 63 one actually like there was a, a huge gap in, in center field and then on the on the right hand side, if you know, hit that facade, if, if it had just been, I don't know, five feet to the left. Just a little bit. It would have totally cleared the wall. It would have been. And, you know, the, what's what's so... The thing that I, I bring this one up for is that when we talk about him hitting the facade, the the distance from home plate, it's only 400 feet. Okay. So it's not nearly as far as what we've been talking about, which mm-hmm. is an additional 180. But that facade was where the ball hit. It was 118 feet above the plane of the ball field. That's not nothing. According, according to witnesses, the ball was still in an upward arc. When yes, it, when it it's still rising, which means yeah. that that ball had the potential to go six and a half to 700 feet. And there's all these, these stories and all these places where these people have figured out using the math based on where they can tell that these greats, some of these greats, Mantle and Ruth and other and Garrick, where they've hit these six, seven, almost 800 foot home runs. Had it not hit something on its way mm-hmm. based on its trajectory. So the point is, there's a lot of majorly huge hits in that stadium, and oh, yeah. none of them seem to have actually made it out. Uh, very few. I think uh, just a few made it out during batting practice, and that was about it. That was uh, yeah. Ruth and Mantle are both known to have actually got it out of the park in batting practice. And it, it's potential, it's possible that maybe Josh Gibson did the same thing. Yeah, but that no, people saw him do it in batting practice, and then the story evolved to he did it during a game. That could be. There's, and by the way, by the way, if you if you do it in batting practice, it's it's you know as far as I'm concerned, just as awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, really. Yeah. Here's uh, here's something that people might remember. I've said once or twice is that the story is that Josh did this either in 1930 or 1934. Turns out we can verify that it didn't happen in 1934. Uh, the version of 1934, Josh Gibson gets it out of Yankee Stadium. It was advocated by a guy named Jack Marshall, who was with the Chicago Giants. And he says that they were playing at the same time as Josh Gibson's team was, and they were in a four team doubleheader. 
and that the Giants were in the stands because they had played the first game, so then they could go in the stands and hang out, and Gibson's team was then in the second game, and that's when it happened. Well, there's only two times where the Giants and the Grays were on the field in a doubleheader together. The first time that happened, the Giants were in the second game. So there's no way that they would have been, they could have been in the stands. And in that game, uh, the Grays won three to one, but Josh was at bat only four times and he only got a single. So evidently the records were kept for that game. The second time that they were together, the Giants did indeed play first, but the Grays only got to play for nine innings before the game was called because of darkness. And Josh was at bat, uh, gosh, how many times? He went to bat four times. No hits. And no hits. So we can confirm pretty conclusively that it wasn't 1934 that it happened. Seems that this version of the story got out because of a book that was written in 1970 by a guy named Robert Peterson with a fantastic title, which is Only the Ball Was White. <laughs> and he oh, wrote about the, the black players. And it seems that this is where that accounting has came from and has gotten so much traction from. Yeah. Um, the other, and the other thing too is that um, Josh Gibson uh, always said that he did not knock it out of the park that day. That's the biggest piece of evidence, sadly, yeah, that we a, have to say yeah. that he didn't actually do it. Yeah, he was an honest guy. He he yeah. wasn't afraid to talk about his accomplishments at all. He wasn't. Um, he didn't have false modesty. No, he he definitely wasn't a braggart. He wasn't gonna. You know, run his mouth like Satchel Page. Satchel Page is a pitcher in the same league who mm. was notorious for running his mouth and talking all kinds of stuff. But that wasn't Josh. He he didn't play that way. He didn't act that way. Yeah, he was a good, he was a better sportsman. And he kind of uh, he always just put it down when people said, "What about when you knocked it out of Yankee Stadium?" And he just kind of said, "No, I didn't do no, that." Sorry, kids, didn't, didn't actually happen. No, I hit the wall. I mean, it was it was still an impressive hit. Cor- yeah. Based on what I can tell, he did hit the back wall. Yeah. It was 2 feet from the top of the wall. Yeah, that's what I've heard too. And still that's... an amazing hit. Absolutely, oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely an amazing hit. Why don't they lower that wall? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they did. Along with the rest of the stadium. Yeah, they lowered the mm-hmm. entire thing. <laughs> yeah. Jeez, Joe. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Come on. I mean, I presumably they made it 50 feet high, so like uh, nearby cars and, 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 and buildings and people wouldn't be getting whacked with baseballs. I'm I, guessing I'm that. that and, you know, reason. and eventually they started, you know, they put billboards on it and the scoreboard was on it. And those things are all really big. And those walls continue to climb as uh-huh. those things get bigger and bigger. But that's that's why I don't know the exact number of how high that wall is, because I can't find a blueprint that's readable that was of the height. Mm. Found some, like I said, I found schematics of the field so I could get distances, but I could never get actual heights. So it's a lot of guesstimates on my part about that 50-foot mark. Yeah. All right. Well, it looks like we are kind of at the end. I mean, and we've talked about, I think that Josh probably would have been one of the baseball greats had he been in a league that was really good at keeping stats. And that means that he would have been mm-hmm. in the league with well, all the other guys that I, we know about. I think I, I, I think it's fair to say he really was one of the great 
one of the greats. Yes, I mean, it's he, just he was. unfortunately history doesn't know how good he was. No, yeah. he doesn't. Yeah, but it's, yeah, very much, very true. But he is in the Baseball Hall of Fame. I mean, he eventually is. he was his talent was recognized was after mm-hmm. he'd been dead for after he'd been de- yeah, 30, unfortunately, decades, 30, 40 years. Yeah, he died tragically, very, very young. Thirty-four, thirty-five years yeah. old. He died. Yeah, it's really um, sad. Had a stroke. They say it was a stroke. He he was um, he had this problem. So he's a catcher. And when somebody would hit a pop foul, of course, the guy that's got to go after that ball is the catcher. So if you've ever seen a ball game and you see this happen, the catcher yanks off his mask and he is running around looking straight up trying to catch the ball. Josh always got dizzy and wasn't that good at catching those balls. So to the the point that other players on his team who were on the field would run to try to help, Mm. that was kind of the indicator that something was wrong, and it turns out he had a brain tumor. Mm. A big old brain tumor. A big brain tumor, and he wouldn't let them operate because he was pretty sure he was going to be lobotomized yeah, by the surgery. at that time, yeah. And so he said no, and eventually it, it, you know, he had a stroke, and then he died, but he was... 34 years old. That's crazy. Yeah, 35. He died in 1946. Yeah. So, yeah, 35 years 35, old. 34, yeah. 35 years old. So yeah, very sad. young. Yeah. Mm. Absolutely, you know, it's tragic to see his, his career cut that short. Yeah. But. Yeah, that's too, um, that's too bad he couldn't have played on the uh, on, a, on a white team. And, you know, yeah. imagine how mm-hmm. awesome baseball would have been. I will yeah. tell everybody, if you are interested in a good book about Josh Gibson, I found one that I got a lot of good information from. Uh, there's a guy by the name of William Brashler. He wrote a book called Josh Gibson, A Life in the Negro Leagues. He wrote it in the early to mid-70s. And the reason I recommend it is that the guys that Gibson played with were still alive. So he actually got to talk to all of these guys. He's got all these stories directly from them. Mm -hmm. So that's what made it such a good book and such a good resource for this. Is that where you got the story about the car running off, the car running off the road Mm -hmm. and all that stuff? Absolutely right, (laughs) yeah. What I didn't share is that the steering wheel is made of wood. And for the (laughs) second car, the guy was holding on to it so so hard and the wheels jerked so strong against it that when they hit the steering wheel shattered oh wow and put slivers in the guy's uh scalp oh he had to wait for three days to find a town with a doctor good enough to get him out oh yeah it's, sounds... a, it's a different time yeah. yeah um people were tougher in those days but that's all i've got unless you guys have anything else no i, I, I think we solved the mystery i think he didn't knock it out of yankee stadium he was nonetheless. A uh, personally, I think that we need to not broadcast this episode. I think that we need to change the end and just say that he did. He did. Yeah. We need to make this we've our lie did. answer episode yeah. that we've always joked about doing. Yeah, I oh, think good so point. Too. Yeah. yeah. Just continue the legend. Yeah. I, well, I was just going to say I looked up um, with Google. It's this great little the tool. Google. With the Google. The um, Google. What the the Guinness Book of World Records has on record for the longest home run. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it turns out it's a bit of a contentious issue. Um, yeah, really. Mickey Mantle was officially credited with uh, 1960, uh, 634 foot mm-hmm. hit. 
But apparently there's been some research that says, no, that didn't happen. So it, then it'd be Babe Ruth in 1921 at 575 feet. Which is funny because the Babe Ruth fans have gone mm-hmm. to their websites and they are claiming that Ruth hit a 670 some odd footer. It's all based on their math. So they know where a building was. They know where the ballpark is and they've done their math yeah. to, you yeah. know, trigonometry, geometry. Yeah. I don't know what, what math thing it is, but that's how they figured it out. Yeah. Well, like say, for example, if it's, if you hit it, if you hit up, if you hit one and it goes up about 45 degrees and then, and then comes back down, hits the wall it's 580 feet away, two feet from the top of that wall, then you know that it would have, if that wall hadn't been there, gone a certain amount further. I assume, I'm assuming that's how they calculated that. Um, for Josh or for Babe Ruth? For Babe, for Babe Ruth, Ruth, they yeah. they calculated it based on knowing where it hit something yeah. and where home plate was. Yeah, but when you think about it, I mean... And no, they knew it was on the downward trend yeah, yeah. for him. But yeah, so the, you know, like like for example, Josh's uh, Josh's hit that hit the hit the, the back wall mm-hmm. actually would have gone further. It was more than five hundred and eighty oh, yeah. square feet. It yeah, was, it was well over that. It would have been a six hundred foot easy. Oh no, it would have been like you know six fifty something like that. Yeah, yeah. that's why I'm saying yeah. six hundred plus feet. Yes, yeah, absolutely. It would have kept yeah. going. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, we are suddenly turning into baseball stat dorks, and we should probably stop. Yeah, can we Cause, please? Because I saw the look on Devin's face. Yeah, I'm ready I to go. <laughs> I, I don't actually need I don't really think about baseball that much. But... And yet we know more about it than we realize. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, let's go ahead and give everybody the information that they love for us to share, because I know this is their favorite part of the show, which is the how to get a hold of us section. You can, of course, go to our website, which is thinkingsidewayspodcast.com, and there you can find this and any other episode, along with links to our research. Um, You can download or stream from the website. A lot of folks who are downloading are doing so through iTunes. If you're on iTunes, do take the time to leave a comment and a rating. That's how other folks find us. We, I check it every now and again, and we just continue to move up the ranks, which is great. Um, for folks who aren't downloading and you're streaming, you're using some app, thankfully we're on just about every app at this point. So if we're not on it, I'm amazed. You should tell that app to take our feed. Um, <laughs> we are, of course, on the social media. So we're on the Twitter we are thinking sideways. I, are we on the Facebook also? We're on the Facebook. So we have the Facebook page and we have the Facebook group, which both of which it's amazing how much traffic they're getting. And it's great to chat with everybody. And it's great to watch all the conversations that are going on. It, A lot of them don't even involve us. It's just all the members of the group just. Oh, yeah. Bat, no, that's why we set the group up is like-minded people who are after the same thing. There's a lot of great conversations going on in there. We have a subreddit, which Devin seems to be the only one who understands, but evidently it's a place to talk about episodes. He, it's a, just, just subscribe. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> do that. Just subscribe to us. Please. There we go. There's what yeah. you do. Subscribe, make comments, do something. Yep. 
And of course, we are on Patreon at patreon.com slash thinking sideways. So if you enjoy the show and you like what you we do and you would like to help financially, you are more than welcome to do so on an episode by episode basis. It is completely voluntary. You can do as much or little or not at all. We totally understand. That's why we have it there. We do appreciate uh, everybody who's been on Patreon because there's been a big surge lately and also for everybody who's been hitting the paypal account so yeah. thank you very much yeah, you guys you. we love you and it helps to defray expenses was we do have a few of those yeah yeah, yeah. no we have the big bill that we got to pay mm-hmm. in a couple of weeks and it's <sighs> really gonna help a lot so yeah. yeah so either if you would like contribute or if you guys would like stop downloading our show that's <laughs> <laughs> those are kind of the two options really we're kidding she's kidding all right uh, uh well that having been said i uh i think that uh, we're gonna get out of here yeah and yeah. we will talk to you guys next week yeah. toodaloo we knocked this one out of the park guys yeah.